Hello, I am Kelvin Garvan, and welcome to Food Sector Systems. Food Sector Systems is the podcast for Food Sector Systems, LLC. We are committed to ensuring the integrity of food from seeds to scraps. Food Sector Systems, LLC is a research-based advisory practice that provides legislative analysis, strategic advice, and supply chain design to nonprofits, municipalities, and private corporations. We are committed to creating efficient, optimal food supply chains. When we say optimal, we mean food that enables our bodies to function at its highest capacity. Our intention is to ensure optimal food is available, accessible, affordable, and acceptable anywhere people live. Today, I am pleased to have Jim Artman join us. Jim is the founder of Appalachian Grit, a permaculture design consultancy, and he is also the vice president of the Tennessee chapter of the Farmer Veteran Coalition. Jim served as an Army Ranger from 2004 to 2012, and he has two tours in Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. He's a certified airborne ranger and sniper and was actually a sniper instructor for three years prior to transitioning out of the military. After serving the nation, he attended Bowling Green University and studied molecular biology and biochemistry. Thank you for being here, Jim. Thank you, Kelvin. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Jim, where are you from? And did your father, family have a history of farming? Uh, so I uh, was originally from East Tennessee, but largely grew up in Northwest Ohio. And have no history of farming, really. Uh, my only really memory of growing up growing food is we had a large garden, uh, which I was tasked with weeding on a regular basis, which I hated growing up. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, but other than that, there was no, there was no focus on farming or nutrition really in my life. Don't feel bad because I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and we had a backyard and my father in his lifetime was from Greenville, North Carolina, and he attempted to raise certain things, cabbage, uh, tomatoes, and he had me weeding. And I was an urban kid who I thought was not going to have to do that. So we all have these crosses to bear. Well, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I can't <laughs> hold it against them because uh, after my tenure in the Army, um, I very much learned the ability to delegate tasks. So if as a NCO in the Army, I was, it was uh, up to me to raise a garden, I would make privates out there uh, weeding that thing for me, for sure. I think I think we were the privates, if that were the hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in terms of what you ate growing up, were there any dishes? Were there any things that could be considered traditional at some of those meals that you had, be it Christmas or Thanksgiving or any other family holiday birthdays? You know, really nothing that stands out aside from what most people would say was yours too. Um I know that we're recording, so I don't want to dig into my mom too bad, but um, the only thing that really stood out to me that I really enjoyed nutritionally, or well, I don't know if I would say nutritionally, but as good to eat was her meatloaf. Mm. <laughs> her yeah. meatloaf was good. I'll give her that, but the rest of it, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say I grew up in a nutritionally robust household for sure <laughs> well prior to becoming an army ranger did you prepare your your mind and your body with any kind of food regimen i mean you you decided to go into the armed services so did so did you do anything special um does budweiser count I'm sorry. <laughs> Does Budweiser count? <laughs> well, um, some people that I know have referred to that as uh, liquid bread. So I guess yeah. you're, you're you're saying that you worked on your carbohydrate intake. 
I did. Uh, I mean, really, I, I had no idea about any of this stuff. You know, like, I grew up like most people did. You know, um, eating uh, the standard American diet and a typical teenager. And I left for the military um, literally a week after I graduated high school. So, um, to, to really answer your question, no. I, I did absolutely nothing to prepare nutritionally for what I was about to endure. Um, the, you know, there's many times at this point in my life where, like, I look back and I think about that, and like, wow. <laughs> you know, if I knew what I knew now, I would have been a beast. Mm. This would have been a lot easier for me uh, in the military, for sure. Well, there's a statistic from the CDC, and some people love and some people don't love them and their statistics. But 75% of Americans ages 17 to 24 cannot meet the military's eligibility requirements. And some of those requirements have to do with their physical condition and obesity, pre-diabetes, bone density. Those are part of that, those constraints. Do you think that food could be used more effectively to prepare our young men and women to serve the nation? Absolutely. I mean, we are, uh, you know, the things that we consume are exogenous or external resources of nutrients. You know, so we're made up of the things that we consume. The, the term you are what you eat is actually legitimate. Um, so if you live off of macaroni and cheese soda and french fries you got a kind of weird body you know all our cell cell membranes are made of fat and if all the fat that you're consuming came from a fryer then you know we're not talking about optimal brain function optimal cellular membrane function uh, or anything like that and when you put your body through the demands of even just basic training, let alone any kind of special operations training or stress, added stress of combat, then, you know, we're not functioning at our highest capacity. So you took the precision of being an airborne ranger and sniper and you basically focused it on molecular biology and biochemistry. What drew you to that after your service with the Army? Uh, well, I was, uh, I was stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia, and spending a lot of time in the forest anyways as a sniper school instructor. Uh, you know, out there training students on how to become proficient at stalking and field craft. And Fort Benning is actually a pretty good duty station, very big place. Um, And I discovered a author of um, mycology named Paul Stamets. And I started reading some of his books and I got really into mushroom hunting. So in my free time, I would walk around Fort Benning and go look for mushrooms, things that were edible, and try to educate myself on things that I could find that were edible. Because throughout my military career, there is this common theme of resiliency that I began to value. And I saw mushroom hunting as... Uh, an extension of that really you know my the ability to go out and find things that are just growing in the woods that are not just nutritious but really have a significant impact on somebody's health i mean the the majority of the species that are commonly known that can be used by humans are anti-carcinogenic anti-inflammatory they can help reverse 
autoimmune disease and things like that. And they just generally build resilience and stress resilience in all of our cells in our body. And so I became fascinated by that as I read more of Paul Stamets' books and began to further educate myself on the things that were out there that were largely ignored by most people because most people really are afraid of mushrooms and uh you know 10 years into it i realized like the people that think that they're afraid of mushrooms or they don't or they say i don't like mushrooms well it's like you only eat the ones at the store there's ones that taste like lobster there's ones that taste like chicken there's ones that taste like peppers um they all have different textures and pretty much all mushrooms have the same properties of being anti-carcinogenic uh, supportive of your cognitive function and they're anti-inflammatory so um the the more i began to learn about that the more i started to get into science and understanding the function of mushrooms and plants and agriculture and how nutrition plays such an important role in our lives. And when it became time for me to get out of the military and thinking about, you know, what is what does the next chapter of my life look like? You know, because I didn't really plan on continuing to shoot people for a living. Um, you know, I felt like there was something more for me to do. I realized that, you know, there's a huge problem going on, a big disconnect between like our source of food, our relationship with food, the way that we grow our food. And when I started to think about myself in the civilian world and what that looked like, I envision myself on a piece of property growing food in a way that uh, was more in line with, you know, the kind of concepts that we see now in regenerative agriculture um, and using my property as a place of teaching, you know, to share with others like, hey, here's, here's another path, you know. Like, I've always been, you know, since being in special operations, a huge fan of resiliency and self-reliance. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that call themselves preppers that can't identify a single mushroom, can't identify a single plant in the forest, or don't know how to grow their own food. But they have a shipping container full of SpaghettiOs. And, you know, that's just not, you know, my version of resiliency. Can I ask you a question to backtrack? In the Marine Corps, they call it SEER training. Survive, evade, resist, escape. In the Army, do they have within that type of training any type of instruction on what you can find in the forest that's edible and in particular what kinds of mushrooms perhaps barely not really i mean it's uh i would say as far as the military or the government's concerned could be a risky endeavor um there's not any there's not any school that really exists long enough to assume that people from the gen general populace that are going through their program would have enough wherewithal or self-discipline to learn what it, they do need to learn to identify food properly so they don't kill themselves. So I think it, risk adversely, the military probably stays away from that. But even on a special operations team, I mean, the 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 the, the, the members of special operations teams, they do have an enhanced skill set, an advanced skill set. And it seems like that would be of value for you to be able to survive in an environment by living off the land. It's not trained. Roger. 
what do you do now? You have property. Where is that property and what do you grow? Well, I actually don't have my own farm right now. I have a place of business um, that I run it, you know, where I have a shop and an office space. I'm getting ready to build a community food forest on the lot next to me is a demonstration site of what community food forests can look like. Um, so I can build more of them. But really, I think the idea of a perennial community food forest is kind of a new concept for a lot of people. And share some of what that looks like. Share what some of the characteristics of a community food forest are. Okay, so for everybody that's listening, if you could close your eyes and imagine walking down a path and on either side of the path, you see as you walk gooseberries, currants, flowers, lots of flowers, shrubs that have that are bearing fruit things like sea buckthorn aronia chokeberries service berries elderberries and then on you know outside of that you also see apple trees pear trees persimmons plums pomegranates there's kiwi vines growing there's blackberries raspberries lingonberries and more flowers and there's the ground is covered with clovers and lupin and all kinds of stuff. Coreopsis, more species that I could even sit here or care to name right now. But as you walk through this system that was planted five, six years ago, there's more fruit than you know you can imagine. Uh, I mean, a mature fruit tree will put on 75 to 90 pounds of fruit per year. You know, some of these shrubs that I've described put on 25 pounds of fruit per year. And all of this just be free. There's labels in front of the plant. You know, you've showed up to this place and, you know, there's been some guidance on, hey, here's, here's best practices for how you should harvest these species. You know, take some, leave some for others. Um, And it's not only functional in terms of its ability to produce food and educate you on the native species that grow in your state that produce food, uh, plus some, but also you get to see, You know that this is an accessible thing. I mean, I, I I build these systems in people's yards. You know, people spend thousands of dollars on landscaping for their yards. You know, they plant nandinas and and hollies and and what boxwoods and you know all kinds of stuff like that. And they spend so much money on it where those things could be replaced with edible species. Could you put that on a military base? Absolutely. Even better, you could set aside some of the property on that military base to train people how to grow their own food. So when they get out of the military, not only will they have another skill set that they could turn into a career but a skill set that they could use for their own resiliency because inflammation is a product of a standard American diet. And if you don't have access to all these things, then, you know, you'll find yourself falling prey to the things that are the most accessible. So I want to, think about this because my eyes are still closed and I'm thinking of a military base or perhaps base housing that the service provides with a capability 
of having military families, that's husbands, wives, and children, learning how to grow their own food while in service to help sustain them and also to give them resiliency as they transition out of the military. Is that what is a possibility in the vision you have? Absolutely. I mean, most military bases, I'm sure, have at least an acre or two or five or 25 or more to set aside to grow some food. Um, I've never seen a farm on a military base. I've seen horse stalls. Um, but, you know, you got all types in the military. And there's a lot of people, especially, you know, soldiers are deployed. If you had some kind of program where there was a, a, a training farm on a base where soldiers' wives or soldiers, when they come out and hit that had an opportunity to learn how to grow their own food. That's, that's huge. Regardless of whatever career you want to get into. I mean, there's a lot of thought leaders out there that exist that, um, are also permaculture organic farmers because they also understand the things that I'm talking about. They realize that to be an optimal functioning human, you have to have optimal food. And the best way to have optimal food is to grow it yourself. If you buy food from a grocery store, it's probably been grown in a very inorganic way, deprived of minerals, deprived of all of the resources that it needs to have, you know, the, the highest nutrient density possible. Um, and you're paying extra for it to be irradiated and to be shipped around. I mean, the average shipping time, travel time for an apple in the United States is nine months. My eyes are just open now. So they were closed until you said that. I mean, nine months, you know, you think about the, you know, there's a lot of things that degrade over that time period. The apples are picked, you know, before they're ready. They didn't get this hang on that branch long enough to get all the rest of the resources they need before you ate it. So, you know, you're getting less nutrient dense food and you're paying more for it and you could grow it yourself. And that's, what's awesome about these, you know, perennial food forest type systems is yeah. Growing annual vegetables is awesome. It's fun. You can also build a system that largely takes care of itself in your own backyard. And you can, in, 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 even in areas that don't have yards, you know, I, I realize that there's a lot of people living in apartments. They're like, I don't have a yard. Well, guess what? That apartment complex can set a place, set aside a place for you. Communities can set aside a place for you to where we can all work together to take care of this system. We can go harvest it. And the beauty of it is that we all become closer to our source of food and our relationship with food grows to a way that we begin to value what food is and what it means for us in our life beyond just the hedonistic impulse of satiating ourselves. And that's what capitalism largely has kind of taken advantage of not to get super political or I don't anything against capitalism, but our society has grown to value convenience over self-reliance. You know, we get to swing through a drive through give somebody a piece of plastic and get a sandwich that's creating disease just so that we were not hungry anymore. That's it. What you just said is a very poignant explanation that I've never heard explained that way before. I want to get back to the word that you've used more than once, resiliency. And I want you to share how you, as someone who got paid to shoot people, used farming to heal and used farming as a way to transition out of the military and also transition out of the mindset that you had that 
was harmful to you after serving as an army ranger? Sure. So that's, that really is a big part of my story. Um, you know, all this knowledge that I have came out of necessity for me to continue to live. When I was in school, after getting out of the military, I went straight. I was uh, in college uh, while on terminal leave. And, you know, it wasn't until then that the effects of war really started to, to mess with me. You know, after being removed from my tribe, being removed from, you know, the normalcy of, you know, work out and shoot people and uh you know that was my lifestyle and everything was fine and normal that you know this stuff started to really have an impact on me and and it had an impact on me in ways that i didn't really understand um you know i mean i understand it more now but at the time i was very lost with feeling isolated, alone, uh, depressed. You know, there's a lot of depression. How old were you, Jim? I was 26 years old when I got in the military. And, um, you know, I went from being an E6 sniper school instructor to a student that was thriving Dean's List, doing molecular biology research to, um, you know, full-on suicidal. And it happened pretty fast. And, you know, fortunately, I think, you know, partly because my area of study and science and interest in that and, you know, permaculture, mycology, whatever, led me to the point where I, you know, and maybe even being a fucking ranger was, I'm not going to give up, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not just going to lay down and accept all of this. And because so rangers lead the way. Absolutely. And so, um, I stumbled across a book by Dr. Mark Hyman. It's called Ultra Mind Solution. And that was my very first exposure to functional medicine, which, you know, the simplest way to explain that is that food is medicine. You know, basically the Hippocrates statement that let thy medicine be thy food and let thy food be thy medicine is more real than I could ever even imagine. And functional medicine is also root cause medicine and it allowed me to go down the rabbit hole of learning that inflammation is what creates disease and inflammation in the body is also inflammation in the mind and inflammation in the mind results in adhd add bipolar depression anxiety OCD all of those things are exacerbated at least by inflammation so I realized that if I could rid my body of inflammation then I could heal myself from the mental anguish of PTSD, depression, anxiety, and trauma, all the stuff that was crippling me at that point in my life because I was ready to end it. I actually tried. And I wasn't willing to give up. And even though I had read this book, you know, it took more years of suffering for me to finally have had enough. And then when I began to implement it, as I knew that I should, you know, and I want to take a moment to say to anybody that's listening, especially any veterans, is that we all have the prescription for healing within us already. 
everyone already knows exactly what they need to do to be healed and to be okay. But it takes a lot of strength and courage to listen to that part of yourself. The one that you disappoint all the time. To actually embrace your true self and do what it is that you know you need to do to be okay. And that's what I finally was able to do. And functional medicine was my guide. And, you know, fasting and diving into gut healing and functional medicine and nutrition and doing all the things that I knew from reading and educating myself doing all those things completely transformed my life. And I went from a person that was became a shell of myself that was begging to die basically to somebody who is standing here with a business ready to help everyone else that is going through the same shit. Out of curiosity, were you decorated for your service? Um, I mean, <laughs> I've received some awards. I don't, I don't know what you mean. Well, you've expressed your transition, and to me, that shows courage and valor and bravery. And I'm wondering if you received anything while you were in service shooting people for a living that would exemplify bravery and courage and valor. Nothing special. Nothing uh, any more than the next guy. So you developed a 12-week program to help other men and women transitioning back to civilian life called fit for transition were the things that you had to overcome that you are explaining are in us are those things part of what's in this if you will curriculum this program fit for transition yeah so the fit for transition program that i wrote um really you know it was uh a large graduation like culmination of everything that I learned from everything I've been through and you know sort of the outcome of all of that which is understanding that the way that our government the VA federal government uh, a lot of other organizations conventional medicine included absolutely uh, has a, addressed or approached treating PTSD uh, has been largely ineffective and it only comes into play when that service member hits a point where they are asking for help as a combat veteran who's been through this before I'll tell you the last thing I want to do is co-find someone to help me when I'm struggling. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to go to the VA and admit that my depression is so bad that I feel like I'm ready to off myself, you know? But the way our model is set up, there's that's 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 where the the help starts it's like oh okay now you're having a problem let's help you well it's no secret that prevention ever an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure you know um and it's ridiculous to think that we're still relying on the modality of, you know, well, let's wait for somebody to ask for help. Knowing that that is a fact. 
I was looking at some material that your Fit for Transition program led me to. And there's a quote from Dr. James S. Gordon, a Georgetown professor, which is my alma mater. And um, his work at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, he wrote, it's time to commit to programs that will serve our troops with the same fidelity with which they serve us. Absolutely. So the fit for transition model that I developed was um, kind of taking advantage of the fact that every service member, when they're getting out of the military, they have this uh, like three month period when they're getting out where you have to go like get signatures all over base, uh, you know, clear finance, clear uh, supply and everybody. And no one really expects you to be at formation. So what could happen is that everybody in that period of time, your cohort, if you will, uh, could go through a 12-week program where once a week you begin to get training on how to take care of yourself, how to set yourself up for success biologically, and how to have stress resilience outside of the military to give you to give you tools to build a toolbox so that way when that trigger happens when you experience your first fourth of july outside of the military and your homeboys aren't around you and you start to have a panic attack that you have some tools to fall back on breathing exercises or maybe you have a yoga practice and you haven't been eating like a dickhead for the last six six months and you have that ability to overcome it because if you are living off of fried foods fast food garbage food drinking yourself into oblivion and fourth of july comes around guess what you're gonna get your ass kicked but if you are taking care of yourself your nutrition is good and you know you've addressed all of your biochemical deficiencies such as uh you know vitamin deficiency uh hormone dysregulation uh gut disrep you know dysbiosis um you know which is basically just an imbalance of gut bacteria from poor diet um you know you've addressed any kind of heavy metal toxicities which is very common in the military because we all shoot lots of guns you know all the br- brass and ammo cleanups where we go stick 556 brass in our in our covers while we do police call <laughs> you know all that lead is ending up in your bloodstream and having a significant impact on your brain function and and for civilians those covers are your hats right yes exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean anybody in the military knows like when you're when you're going to do a ammo police or brass police call after shooting at the range most people take their hats off and then collect ammo in it and then go turn it in or the, the brass um so anyways my point is we're all exposed to a lot of lead um you know and there's other types of heavy metals uh depleted uranium things like that all of which could be hampering us as veterans getting out of the military preventing us from being able to be resilient to the effects of stress let me caveat that with the fact that trauma is a normal part of life and this is coming you know off what you just meant you know guy you just mentioned dr james gordon um everybody experiences trauma in their life it does not have to result in maladaptive psychosocial behavior if we can set our service members up for success biochemically by addressing any of these kinds of biochemical concerns by testing for them dealing with them before they get out and then training them how to take care of themselves what nutrition is like how to cook for yourself what stress management techniques exist and are available to you things like different types of breathing practices or yoga 
exercise and give all these service members a toolbox to call on when they get out of the service then we don't have to wait until they've been putting guns in their mouth for six months to start addressing some of their concerns with drugs that don't work that's a powerful vision and fit for transition seems like a powerful panacea to help our men and women with the same fidelity that they serve us. I want to look forward. I'm curious about what's going to happen in Knoxville on November 18th, the Farmer Veteran Stockholders Conference. You're the vice president of the Tennessee chapter of the Farmer Veteran Coalition. What are some of the things you'll be discussing at that event? Sure. So I'm going to be uh, one of the keynote speakers there for the event. Um, my main pitch is going to be, you know, really what our organization can do for veterans in the state of Tennessee um, and kind of giving everybody an idea of, you know, if you want to get out of the military and start a farm, it's a very romantic sort of <laughs> idea. You know, it sounds great. Uh, but it's hard and that's why veterans are good for it because it's hard, you know, and it takes a lot of grit and strength and, uh, personal courage to come at, uh, you know, a career choice like that because there's a lot of unknowns. Can you share that within the context of something you told me in another conversation about task and purpose, having task and purpose, with task and purpose, you can accomplish anything. So I think that a lot of civilians don't understand that the value of working with men and women who have been in uniform, that they understand that. Can you explain how having task and purpose is such a powerful skill to transfer into civilian life? Absolutely. So task and purpose is uh, military leadership 101. When you be- go through your very first leadership training in the military, they tell you to get the be- most out of your men, to be a good leader, is to provide task and purpose. Without task and purpose, we're lost you'll experience dissension in the troops <laughs> possibly <laughs> you know but when you can provide task and purpose for your men they will work wholeheartedly without question um and you know your job as a leader will be easy so like picking up brass and <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of things that seem like bullshit in the military that you have to do uh so it's your job as a leader to provide task and purpose but as veterans we are our own leaders and when there's not somebody else there providing leadership for you or task and purpose for you you have to create your own task and purpose and that i think is a huge part of why PTSD or depression um, is so prevalent amongst our veteran population is because you know you get out and nobody wants to take a job that is not meaningful for them you know because we're so used to doing something that we so wholeheartedly believe in as our mission which is why farming is such an awesome thing for veterans is because there is task and purpose there every single day. If you, if you are a farmer, not only do you have a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do to maintain your farm, but you're doing it for some, somebody that's not for you. You're doing it for your community and there's your purpose. It's very meaningful to to do that kind of work and 
the fact that our farmer population is aging to the point of you know the average age of a farmer is 60 65 years old um you know I, I, and honestly i think the reason for that is is that people have become you know we're in the our millennial stage of our population where you know i'm i'm one of them you know i'm 35 years old uh i guess i'm one of the elders of the millennials but we uh are no longer accepting of the status quo you know the way that things have been done we're starting to see that uh our agricultural practices have um are beginning to fail you know covid did a great job of shedding light on that you know we all saw on the news the millions of gallons of milk being dumped on the ground um you know we're starting to see how the the you know the, the beef situation where slaughterhouses have shut down and you know all these prices are increasing and then people started getting scared they're like well what are we going to do when we can't buy food or there's food's not available and um you know aside aside from just you know doing something meaningful for the community being outside and working with the soil is really good for your brain the soil microbes that are out there the the inoculation if you will of your gut on a daily basis and being out there and doing hard work is I'll attest to it because that's what I do every day with my business is the most healing thing and aside from the 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 gut bacteria the task the purpose another added benefit that I learned from doing all this is that when I'm out there doing that kind of work I realized that because I own a business and so there's a lot of parts to running a business that are not just planting things and playing in the dirt. My favorite part is the days that I'm out there planting and I realized why I love it so much is because while I'm out there, I'm present. I'm present. I'm in that moment. I'm there. I'm putting that tree in the ground. I'm making sure that it's planted at the right depth and the soil is compacted right around it. And, you know, I'm not thinking about what else I have to do. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about yesterday. I'm thinking about planting that tree and I'm doing it all day long. And that when I when I when I pick my head up at the end of the day, after doing that kind of work i feel awesome and uh you know i think that there's a lot of veterans out there i know from volunteering with the farmer veteran coalition I feel the same way it feels good to do that kind of work to be present and uh work your ass off and know that that hard work that you've been putting in uh is a task and purpose that you've provided for yourself and it's meaningful for your community. Jim, I began this conversation and I did not say thank you for your service. I said thank you for being here. And I said that because I believe that men and women in uniform fight for each other in the name of the country. And I know that in the Marine Corps, one of the warfighter functions is force protection. So you are fighting for each other. You are protecting your battle buddy and you are making sure that you have someone six, if you will. But I, I thank you for being here again, because like you said, being present. And I really thank you for being present. What you've shared today is insightful and thought-provoking and it's personal and i think that's the only way that we should discuss these things which is so relevant so so timely and important for ourselves 
and 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 for our veterans and like James Gordon Dr. James Gordon said it is time to commit to programs that will serve our troops with the same fidelity with which they serve us so if i have missed anything please share it if i have not missed anything that you'd like to say i would again like to say thank you for being here and i look forward to speaking with you again and i really wish you the best in all your endeavors and in particular what's coming up on your calendar for November 18th in Knoxville at the Farmer Veteran Stockholders Conference there in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh the I think the only thing that I'd like to just reiterate really for the listeners is um you know if you are a leader in your community um which also includes every veteran that's listening um and you see a need to improve and increase people's access to food knowing that that is the best way to improve everybody's situation you know like i always said um you know if, if you if your health is a problem that's your number one problem there's a difference between health span and lifespan You know, there's a lot of us that to include myself have been in that situation where my health wasn't optimal and I could not think about anything beyond surviving today. And there's a lot of us out there that are like that and I'm still in that moment some days. You know, I'm not completely out of the weeds. I still have to, you know, continue to focus on taking care of myself so that way I'm okay sometimes. Especially on the 4th of July. I fucking hate fireworks. <laughs> you know, I got some uh, sound-canceling air AirPods now that, that helped me get through that day. But, um, you know, if you're any, anybody out there that uh, is motivated or willing to uh, create an impact on your community, I'll tell you that doing projects or contributing to in a way that heals people's relationship with food whether it be teaching them about nutrition teaching somebody how to cook uh starting a farm growing food a community food forest or community garden those are the ways that you're going to create an impact and uh you don't have to have a degree you don't have to have a business you don't have to be a city council member in order to do that all you have to do is decide that you want to help out and as soon as you decide that uh, all the opportunities will be afforded to you well jim you are helping out and you are present and i thank you for that service your service out of uniform is still a very vital service to your community and to the nation so thank you again and i look forward to speaking with you soon awesome thanks kelvin it was my pleasure dude be well all right see you bye